We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. And you know what I love about TMC is every time it seems like we get together, he meets us here. Every time. And like, God is consistent. His performance is always consistent. So it's like, he hits every time. Every time. I'm just so grateful. So grateful. So grateful. I am honored to be standing before you. I'm grateful to be able to talk. Like, it might sound a little rusty to y'all this morning, but listen, if you knew what I went through all other week with no voice, it was a struggle. It was a struggle not to be able to talk. So forgive the little horse sound that you're hearing come through this microphone, but it's a lot better than it was, and I'm grateful. Um, I'm really, really excited about the word, so as hopefully not to sound anxious, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. Is that okay? I know there's supposed to be like this nicety, warm-up conversation, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I just need to jump in. Sound good? But I need for you guys to be a good class. Can y'all be a good class today? Behave. Because I have to teach this thing Sunday school style. Okay, I'm gonna have to teach this Sunday school style order for us to be able to get it. Did y'all go to Sunday school? I might. Is that old? Is that old school now? No. Do we do we Sunday school anymore? Yes. I learned a lot in Sunday school. That was like Sunday school sunshine band. I'm telling my age, but yes, that 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 was me. That was me. Listen, when he said that, don't push it. All you got to do is be on go. Okay, I'm not that old, but I'm from the old church. It just take a go. It's just one chord and one holler. It don't take much. It don't take much for us. Okay, okay, I know I'm working in the New Age Church, the New Age Church. I'll behave myself. I, I will. I, I'll do right. Um, you know how in a movie you, you like, or not even just in a movie, maybe like a crime scene, like you see the event and you see the action, and then like you work to find the clues, to find the mystery of how whatever happened happened. You know, like you're starting to piece together. In any investigation, like you see the issue, and then now I need to figure out, you know, who did it and how they did it and what time it took place and all that, that type of in investigating. I've never really been of the mind of caring much about the how. Like, I don't really, I mean, it's great. it happened, so I don't necessarily got to know how it happened. I know that it happened. My intention has always been on the why. I want to know why. Like, um, I worked with um, teens and I would go out to their schools and I would meet them at the schools, but in order for them to be referred to me, something bad had had to happen in order for me to come onto the scene. And by the time I get there, whatever the issue was, whatever unfolded, they either like brought a gun to school, they had to be level four-ish, something, something big, brought a gun to school, um, used drugs, some grand action. And once I am invited into the life of this student, I get the file and it tells me everything that, you know, the incident that happened. But when I'm sitting in front of the kid, I have very little concern for what's in that paperwork. You know, you did it already. You know, how you did it ain't really that important. But if you can get me to why, if you can get me to where your head was at when you did what you did. Like you brought the gun to school, I know that, I read the paperwork, I thought I took it from you in sixth period, you pulled that. But I want to know where your head was at that morning, like when you was getting dressed and you went through the house and you found that gun and you put it in your book bag. Like what was the thought? What was the thought when you got onto the school bus and you had that, they, that it was in your bag and nobody else knew it was in your bag? But you knew it was in your bag. What were you feeling like at that time? 
Or like when you're in first period, second period, third period, you went in that book bag for other stuff and you didn't reach for that gun. Then like, what, where was your head at when you did what you did? Because if I can find out the why, then I can better help you to not do this again. And maybe not even just you, but I can be able to set up boundaries when I see this in other people. Like, were you mad at the time that happened? Were you disappointed? Because now I can be able to help you to understand that disappointment can lend to this activity, and we need to get in front of it before it happens. Why has always been just much more important to me? Well, it's with that context that we are going to go into Scripture today. Okay? So we're going to Sunday school style it. So let me, let me explain. I need to get, scrap order of message. You know how messages kind of fall in the order? Just scrap that. You'll be lost. If you think you're going to be driving along with me, you're not because it's just, we're just going out of order today. Okay? So I need to lay this out for you. I'm going to have to sit the whole pizza on the table as a whole, and then I will be able to sit down and slice it up for y'all. Okay? So we're going to take this as a whole, introduce it, bring in the text, and then I can just at the close with the points. That works? I can just give you the points at the end. Can that follow? Okay, so for those of you who are taking notes, we're going to um, Sunday school time travel. Hey, did you guys ever see, um, what is it called, A Christmas Carol yeah. with Ebenezer Scrooge? They redid it for you younger people. It's called Scrooged by then. <laughs> Scrooge was the nowadays version, but, you know, it had Ebenezer Scrooge, and, like, they took Ebenezer Scrooge, and they took him, time traveled him back to different areas, and he had to sit in the background, and he watched the scene play out in front of him. You guys know? Y'all do that? Okay, so we're going to do that in Scripture today. Okay, we're going to take a trip into different spots in scripture. Just sit in the background and watch these scenes unfold. Sound good? Can we follow? That works? Okay, so I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, and I, most people don't call him friend, but I call him friend in scripture, and that's Judas. Jesus called him friend. That's a message all on its own. I'm not even going to get into that, but Jesus called him friend, so I'm going to call him friend. So we're going to discuss um, my friend Judas in scripture with that same mindset of trying to figure out the why, because we all know Judas, are we familiar with Judas? Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas is the one who sold Jesus out for three for thirty uh, silver for, for silver, and he he traded his boy. Um, we all know the final scene of that. We know that it ended in the cross. We know how wrong he was. But let's go back to the why. Let's get some context on Judas. Now, when you read a story from the ending, when you know the ending, it's very easy to, because we know the end to look at him as the villain from the beginning. And even in scripture, when they describe him, when they introduce him in scripture, they introduce him as Jesus, who as Judas, who later betrayed Jesus. So we never really get to think of Judas without the betrayal, because he's always looked at the villain from the beginning of it. Okay, so try to erase that you know that so far, okay? And let's just look at Judas. Now, the interesting thing about Judas is that they don't give us very much information. They really don't give us any information about Judas before he meets Jesus. We just know him after the meeting of Jesus, and he's introduced as one of the disciples. So we don't have the context for him like we have for, like, uh, Peter. Like, Peter, we know he was a fisherman, and his life was changed, and he left and followed Jesus after Jesus met him. And we don't have the context of, like, um, Matthew. We know that Matthew was a tax collector who walked off his job when he met Jesus. Um, we don't have, like, um, any character descriptions really of Judas like we have of um, James and John. And scripture refers to James and John as a thun the sons of thunder because of their intense personalities. Um, we don't really have any of those references for, Ju for Judas. So we will have to use what is written to grab what is not written. Sound good? 
Okay, so let me introduce you to the, to the 12. So this, everybody knows about Jesus and his 12 disciples. So the 12 disciples, now mind you, Jesus was around 30-ish when he started his ministry. So this is really like the first young adult ministry. So this ministry is like on fire. And they're like excited about, you know, pressing the gospel, moving the gospel forward, going and winning the laws and bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to God, and going and teaching this message. And so they're going out on what I call like a tour. They're getting ready to take off this on-fire young adult mission. And mind you, this is a whole new concept. So this is like a whole new kind of cool. So they're going out, and one of the things that Jesus tells them, like, when we, when we go out, we're not taking any, don't, don't accept any gold, don't accept any silver, don't even take a bag. You know, this is grassroots ministry, because right now the focus is just on pushing the message. But as the ministry grew, and as the following grew, it, got, it just grew out of control. So they opened up another layer of their ministry, so to say. And so not only were they able to go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, and teach, they were also put in a position where they, they kind of had to fund their ministry. You know, they had to be able to take the offerings that people were just pouring on them, pouring on them, and they were able to give. So they took what people gave them. They bought their food, bought their different places to sleep, and then they were able to give to the poor. So it was like expanded ministry. But as the ministry expanded, then came a need for a treasurer because somebody got to keep the money, right? Now that now the money is a part of our ministry, somebody got to be able to balance the books and make sure that we're right. Well, the group nominated Judas to be the person. Now, it's interesting to me. It was stuck out to me they picked Judas because Matthew was in the crew, and he has the background for money. You know what I mean? Like, he has the resume that would have made him the guy for the job. But because in Scripture... Tax collectors had a reputation to be kind of shady with money. That would make him not the guy for the job. So what this does tell us, what is written, but tells us what is not written, is that among his peers, Judas appeared to be trusted. Because when it came down to trust what was sacred, they picked him. He was appointed. That also lets us know that there was something about Judas that outwardly did not display the fact that it was in him to do what he did. That amongst his friends and amongst his peers, there was, no, there was not behaviors. There was no, um, we call it in um, DCF, they were exhibiting any behaviors. There was no display of behaviors that would point to the fact that it's a traitor in you. That you, could, that you could be as dirty as you are. And they ran with him. Like they were together all day, every day, doing wonderful and mighty things. And at no, no point did it come to them that I got to watch you. Okay. So as time went on, they're collecting money. Judas started taking some and keeping it for himself. They would give an offering to Jesus for his great work as he came in the city. And Judas was kind of holding some for himself. Now, mind you, nobody knew what Judas was doing. Of course, Jesus who knows all. But nobody knew or addressed what Judas was doing. So he was getting away with it. Okay, so we got Judas. You got a good picture of him in his head, in your head. Okay, so now let's time travel. Let's all pick up from TMC, and let's time travel about 2,000 or so, over 2,000 years ago to what would be last night of now. You get what I'm saying? Because today is Palm Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Palm Sunday. So let's go over 2,000 years back to what would be last night. Did I explain that right? Did I just? Okay. Okay. So go to Mark. No, 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 not Mark. Let's go to John. John chapter 12, NIV. John chapter 12. Now, for those of you who like to um, 
you know, a very studious one. Go ahead and write on your paper, if you need a heading, things I learned from Judith. Because as we travel back and sit silently in the background of this scene, you can sit like those people in those, um, not those observing things, like they're behind the glass and they're watching it and they're sitting down and they're just jotting down the notes. Yes, you can be that person in the scene. Let's sit back and observe this scene. John 12, NIV. You got it? Let me know so I, can, I don't want to move on without you. Got it? Got it? NIV. Okay. Six days before, wait, let me set this up for you. Okay, so where we are in, in this part of the scripture is they're all, they've been on the tour, and they made it to Bethany, and they're at their friend's house. They're having a get-together at their friend Simon's house. And the disciples are there, and there's also Lazarus, that's one of his boys that he raised from the dead, and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, are there at the house. And Simon, who he healed from leprosy. So they're all, they, they've been on their tour, and they've come into the city where their friends live, so they met up at their friend's house. And they're having dinner at their friend's house. This is where we are. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, so picture this scene before we tra travel anymore. They're all chilling at the house. They're having a good time, and then Judas makes an awkward moment. Like, she comes in, and she's, she is pouring out what is an expensive sacrifice to show how grateful and how much she loves Jesus. And then the smell of the fragrance just has overwhelmed the room. And then here's J Judas calculating her gift. That's a year's wages that you just wasted, and you could have sold that and gave to the poor. So then Jesus checks Judas in front of everybody. You can't you ever be in a space, and you got that one person that just makes it awkward, and it's like, that didn't even have to be said, and now you've just kind of shifted the mood of the room? Okay, so now let's time travel up, and let's go to... John 13, and we'll start at verse 1. So we've time traveled about, now we're about three days. We've moved from that living room, and we're now about three days later. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Let's scoot down to verse 21. So this is now where 
at, we're at Last Supper phase. You're familiar with last, last Supper. So this is the setting we're sitting and looking at now. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the, one of, one of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclined next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Okay. I'll, I'll keep going. But one, but one at but no one, at the meal, no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. So we all know where Judas went when he left. He went to go find the high priest and the Pharisees so that he could go and trade Jesus in. So he could set Jesus up. So we're familiar with that story. So we got a good grasp. We're there. Good. Now let's get points. We have to be able to look back at the story to get an understanding of the story, correct? So let's go with point number one. Be willing to address your dark spots. If we go back and we go to money bag Judas, the elected Judas, when he got picked to be the treasurer, version of Judas. We look at the betrayal as being the big act, but Judas had betrayed Jesus long before he got to the cross. When Judas took the, fell for the temptation, should I say, fell for the temptation of taking the silver that was offered to him by the Pharisees was not when this train wreck started. It started when he was willing to take for himself what was offered to Jesus. When the people were pouring out their offering to Jesus, he fell for the temptation of Satan telling him, you're traveling just like they are. Why are you, why are you not doing anything? Or just in case this ministry falls apart, you're going to need a little bit to fall back on your own. Or, you know, nobody can really tell. They're not counting the money anyway. It's okay. It's not like you're taking a whole lot. Or the ministry is still functioning beautifully. And the first time you get away with something, it makes it very easy to minimize what you've done and continue to do it. So what Judas would not recognize is he fell for the same temptation that got the devil where he was. Is that he felt that he could take some of what was owed to Jesus, what was owed to God. And in him being able to do it, it made him continue to do it. And when you continue to do a thing, it creates a hiding spot. Because if I'm doing it and you don't know, but I'm still able to function in ministry, I'm still able to be productive, I'm still able to produce, then I can hide my dark spots. The, the scary thing about hidden dark spot is that the enemy, you might not acknowledge it. And other people might not recognize it. But you and the enemy have a secret now. And he will always be able to tap the dark spot. So... 
he baited him with greed. And I thought to myself, you know, if greed was going to be the thing that was going to lead to the betrayal of Jesus, I would have thought that Matthew would have been the guy that you would have approached. Because Matthew has the history of the shady money thing. So what was it about Judas that made him the guy that the enemy knew that would fall for this temptation? Because if your end game was to betray Jesus and greed was what you were going to do, then to me, Judas wouldn't have been your guy because he'd already proven himself to be trustworthy. But this is why you got to deal with the dark spots because he coupled greed with the issue that he really wanted to touch, and that was his jealousy. Now, let's look at why he had reason to be. So we, we heard that Judas was not mentioned before meeting Jesus. And in Scripture, if you have rank or position, it's announced when you're announced. When you're introduced in Scripture, it tells you about something, some type of background. But because there was no introduction to Jesus, that means not saying that he was poor, but he was just normal. There was nothing necessarily grand about him. He didn't have a career that needed to be announced like Peter did. He didn't have a position that needed to be announced like Matthew did. He didn't have a kinship bond, brotherhood like James and John. He didn't have like that connection that Andrew and Peter had. He just, Judas. He didn't, he, he didn't have, what, and in addition to that, he was the only one out of all of the 12 that was non-Galilean. That means like I do what y'all do, but I ain't from where you from. So there's always that potential of being different. Not necessarily left out, because I know y'all trying to clue me, but sometimes when I'm with the whole group, I recognize that something about me ain't really, like I'm here, but I'm not fitting, fitting. And it left him in the position to always compare. So he baited him with greed only to dig into his jealousy. Because greed wouldn't have been enough. It had to be able to have something else to pull on in the moments when the enemy needed something else to pull on. So this makes the setting of them sitting at that dinner make more sense. Because when he asked him, why would you pour this out? Now, mind you, he calculated this lady's offering because he knew that if it make it into that money bag, I get to get some of it. So while everybody else in the scene completely understood the love that this woman was pouring out for Jesus, he couldn't understand why he couldn't get some. That he was sitting comparing and calculating even in that moment. He was robbed of the beauty of what was happening in that moment. In the Old Testament, when they gave sacrifice, the, that was their form of worship. And it was the aroma from the sacrifice that reached heaven and pleased God. So this woman took her sacrifice, what she had saved for so long, she poured it out on the feet of Jesus, and the aroma filled the room, and he missed worship altogether because he was too busy comparing himself to Jesus. This is why we have to guard the dark spots, be honest about the dark spots. And if we are honest, jealousy is one thing that we never really want to admit to. I'll make you the problem before I make me the problem. That the issue isn't that I'm jealous of you, it's that you think you're better than everybody else. Listen, it is so, I've said this before, it is so unbelievably necessary and detrimental for you to be honest with yourself first. For you to be willing to say to yourself the ugly stuff. Because we will dress it up as something else and live on with it. But just like you don't want to see it, the enemy sees it. 
And he will always have that to touch and pull and tug at. We will name it different things, but he knows exactly what it's called. And he will always have that card to be able to pull. Make sure you say, be able, or go ahead and write that down, that be willing to address the dark spots. Let's keep moving. I only have three points. I'm going to get out of your way in just a minute. So let's go back to that scene. They're sitting in the house and they're having dinner and they're having a good time. Judas makes it awkward. Now we know some of his motivation as to why, but then Jesus checks him. So I'm already feeling some kind of way about you. And then you just made a scene because I made a scene. He responded to the scene I made in front of everybody. So let's be honest. He feels some kind of way. You, you, can, you can get that. I can see how you, you feel some kind of way. You just checked me in front of the whole group and you just kind of exposed. You made an issue about the issue I just made. In front, of, in front of everybody. And that's what made it so much easier for things to turn. Because this, in scripture, is where the table turns. Because he'd been walking with Jesus and having this problem this whole time. But that scene right there is what pushed him to the place of betrayal. This is what pushed him to the spot of being able to turn him over. Point number two. Be mindful of your thoughts while you're in your feelings. You cannot entertain every thought that comes to your mind, especially when you're sitting in your feelings. It was the fact that he felt some kind of way that made him feel justified in entertaining the thoughts that he had. And it was the thoughts that he had that led him to do what he did. Listen, so there are, there are lots of different types of temptation, but I want to introduce to you two. The temptation to act temptation of thought. The enemy will try to tempt you, provoke you to do something. That's a temptation to act. Provoke you to take it. Provoke you to fight. Provoke you to sleep with somebody. Provoke you to act, to do something. But then there is a temptation of thought where he gives you a suggestion and then lets your mind run with it. He will give you a hint. And then once your mind starts running with it, you'll see everything that makes evidence to the thought that you feel like you have. We tend to guard ourselves, be more guarded when it comes to temptation to act. But we are less guarded when it comes to temptation of thought. And I think some of it is because nobody knows that we're doing it but us. And then the hallway between thought and feeling is very short. Sometimes you're standing in the doorway of both at the same time and you don't know which one you're actually dealing with. Is this what I think or this is how I feel? Because they're so coupled together. Be very careful about entertaining thoughts that are based in your feelings. Scripture tells us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, mind you, in the, in the context of what is set in that time, it's talking about giving in um, and genuine invitation. But the fact that it says, so a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's taking a function of your mind and a function of your emotion and putting them together for you to understand you can't afford to let your mind take your feelings on a trip. Scripture says to guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. That's scripture. That's not good advice. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. So what does it look like? Once you get tempted into entertaining thoughts, it's only a matter of time before it's into your heart. And because everything flows from your heart, 
then he, you now have everything flowing from you with the stench of the enemy that you've been entertaining. Be mindful of your thoughts while you're in your feelings. It doesn't matter how justified the thought feels. Because sometimes what you think is based off of what actually did happen. But it's the, the thought process that you take when it comes to what happens that takes you to a different place. Now get this. Was Judas embarrassed when Jesus checked him? Yes, that happened. That is genuinely how he felt. But all the thoughts he entertained about Jesus after that moment that went with that incident is what led him to where he ended up. Last point, and I'm going to get out of your way. Be both remorseful and repentant. So the part of text that we did not read is that after Jesus was taken, and we know what happened when the soldiers came and took him, and he ended up being found guilty for a crime that he did not commit, and he was beaten all night long. Judas genuinely felt bad about what he did. Because the enemy will prompt you to do something and then make you feel guilty about what he got you to do. And he felt terrible about what he did. So he went back and tried to give the silver back. And they wouldn't even take it. And after he went and told them, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And tried to give it back. And they wouldn't take it. The last resort he came to was suicide. And you know what the heartbreaking thing that I always look at when I see this story is he set in motion what was history's greatest act of redemption. And he knew it. Why? Because there's a difference between remorse and repentance. I'm glad that he felt bad. But the difference is now you have to repent and do it different. See, you, you, can, you can contrast this with Peter. Like, Peter denied Jesus too. Almost in the same setting. But the difference between Peter and Judas is when Peter felt bad. And his repentance like, I will never, never betray you again. And ran off in ministry. He ran off to push the agenda of the kingdom. He made it his life's mission to be the rock on which the church was built. Don't confuse how bad you feel about what you did with repentance. Because now the enemy has something else to beat you up with. Because you feel so bad, you feel so shame, you feel so down, and now you can't get from up under the emotion of, what the, of the decision that you made. So now he wins twice. God can still use you. I wonder, well, you know, everything is predestined, and I get that. But I do often wonder, if, jo if Judas would have just been able to take it a little bit farther, if he wouldn't have decided that it had to end here, I feel like that would have been an even deeper testimony of redemption. Because all the while, Jesus knew who he was dealing with when he was dealing with Judas, and he still extended love. But because the enemy talked him out of the greatest gift ever given, he missed his chance. What am I saying? You're going to mess up. Jesus knows that. He knew that when he picked you. But when it happens, 
when you fall into temptation because you're going to. Every now and then you're going to. Be quick to repent. It's okay to be sorry. The enemy will beat you up and be like, he'll make you try to do what he got Judas to do. Judas went to go try to fix it. Like, oh, I got this. I got to get a silver back because I never should have took it. And he tried to undo it. And it makes you feel like you got to undo it in order for Jesus to be able to accept you. You can't undo it. If the incident that happened, nobody cares about the how, fix the why. Go back and fix the why. Stand to your feet. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.